0: Please pray with me. Uh, Yeah, we have a really big Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence, and uh, we thank you for just the opportunity to do that, uh, to worship you in all of your glory. Lord, I pray that you would use me in this moment, you know, most of the time that I step to the pulpit, I feel my own weakness. feel my own sinfulness. But I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, God, my rock and my redeemer. I also ask that they would be a, a blessing to each one here. That they would move you them closer to you. So be with this time. Anoint this time. Make it what you want it to be. All for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are right in the midst of our sermon series called Our Identity in Mission. Over the past year and a half, we've worked very hard to recast our vision vision and mission as a church. Along the way, a number of people have asked, well, why should we bother recasting our vision? We have a perfectly clear vision statement right now. Why not just work hard at applying what we already have in place? And I think, that's, I think those are fair questions, and I'm sure there are many answers. My quick answer for today um, comes from Jack Miller. If you, don't, if you didn't know Jack, Jack was the person that God used to start all the New Life churches in this area. And Jack was always pointing out our natural tendency as, as churches to become ingrown. According to Jack, churches left to themselves will lose sight of their mission to take the gospel to unbelievers. And instead, they will begin to focus on their own needs. So we recast our vision so we don't become ingrown. We recast our vision so we don't lose sight of our identity and mission. So in our latest go-around, we have a newly articulated vision, mission, and motto. You already know that. And uh, let's just look briefly at our motto, which is up here to my right, because you matter to God and to us. Now, as a diverse church, it shouldn't surprise us that we as a people have mixed feelings about our new motto. Some love it. Some are uncomfortable with it. Others ask, why do we need a motto in the first place? And I I think it's such a great thing that we can be a church with such diverse viewpoints over something as simple as a motto. I think it's God's glory in our midst. And as an introduction to our sermon today, I want to focus on one word that I think is the core of our whole motto. It's the word matter, M-A-T-T-E-R matter. I like that word. It means important or solid. It's very similar to the uh, biblical word for glory. In the Old Testament, the biblical word for glory is kabod, which means supreme importance. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is uh, is doxa, which means ultimate beauty. So that Word matter is a great word, and I'm glad it's in our motto. Now, look at the phrase, matter to God, right in the midst of our motto. It begs the question, what matters to God? Well, our motto says that you do. You matter to God. Now, that's true. And that's, I think, the reason we included that is because it's, it's a good starting point. But I don't think that represents the power of our motto. I think the glory of God is the power of our motto. What matters to God? His glory does. His supreme importance and his ultimate beauty. And as I said in my last sermon, God knows he is the only thing in this world that can truly satisfy us. He must be of supreme importance in our life if we are to be truly happy. His beauty must capture our heart so fully in order for us to be at genuine rest. Once you understand that fundamental idea, then you can say to others, you matter to God. You matter because God matters. His glory will make you supremely happy. So I want to use this concept of God Matters as the framework for my whole sermon today. Today we will be in Acts 16. If you have a Bible, open your Bible or open your Bible app to Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Of this text, we will ask the question, what matters to God? And we will see three things that matters to him. The nations matter to God. Women matter to God, especially the woman Lydia. And worship in the city matters to God. The first, the nations matter to God. Our our passage starts in the city of Troas. The Apostle Paul is on his secondary, second missionary trip. He had just had that famous argument with Barnabas over whether to take Mark on this mission trip. Paul says no. Barnabas says yes. They can't come to an agreement. So Paul takes Silas, and he heads to Asia Minor. His goal is to visit all the people who heard the gospel over his last visit. He wants to strengthen them in his faith now if it were up to paul he would have stayed in asia but it's not up to paul it's up to god and god wants paul and silas and that team to go to europe so while in troas god gives paul a vision of a man in macedonia urging him to come there to help so they get on the boat and head to the island of samothrace then to neapolis which is the port of Philippi. And in in the naming of all these cities, we see one of the key themes of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit moving the gospel to the whole world. In Acts 15, the Holy Spirit overrides Paul's desire to stay in Asia by giving him a vision of the man in Macedonia. Why did the Holy Spirit do that? Because God is the father of all nations. The glory of God, the knowledge of his supreme importance, must go out to all the nations, not just Asia. It must go to Europe as well. The people of Europe matter to God. To put it according to our own vision statement, the broken from all nations must be made alive and whole in Jesus Christ. And let me take a brief moment to comment on that word broken. You know, it can mean a lot of different things. But fundamentally, what we mean by broken is broken by the effects of our sin. Your sin and the sins of others. We are all broken people because of sin. Our rebellion against God has torn apart every bit of our life. The whole fabric of our lives are torn apart and broken because of sin. It is the very reason why Jesus had to come, why his body had to be broken on the cross. The effects of sin, our sin, ravaged his body on the cross. He sacrificed himself in this way so that we may be made alive and whole. He died, we live. His body was broken, we are made whole. The truth, that truth, had to go out to all the cities of Europe and everywhere else in order for God to be truly satisfied with his own mission. See, in the book of Acts, what we really see is God himself on mission through the apostles. He's in charge of the mission. Paul is merely following orders. And in order for us to find our true identity and mission as the people of New Life Church, we too must follow orders from the true missionary, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, the second thing we see in this passage is that women matter to God. Here we see another key theme in the book of Acts, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. That good news is inclusive. In Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female. We are one body. When Paul arrived in any city, his first impulse was to find where people gathered. Often he would go to a city and he would find a synagogue because it was a natural place for him to share the message of Jesus. Apparently, Philippi didn't have any synagogue, And then on a Sabbath, they decided, you know, we think there may be a place of prayer by the river, so let's go there. No synagogue. There had to be ten men in any city to establish a synagogue. Apparently, in Philippi, there were not ten Jewish men. But that didn't stop the women from gathering together by the river to pray. And by the river, Paul and his colleagues meet Lydia Allow me to introduce to you Lydia. She's originally from the city of Thyatira, which is a city located in Asia Minor, the very place where Paul came from. So the Holy Spirit guided Paul away from Asia to Europe to meet a woman from Asia. I think that's interesting. Thyatira was and still is famous for the dying of various cloths. Among the ancient ruins in that city are various inscriptions related to various guilds of dyers, of cloth. Lydia was most likely a member of one of those guilds. Acts 16 makes a point of saying she was a seller of purple goods. This means, most likely, that she's a woman of wealth. Purple was the color of royalty. It was the expensive cloth. The people who could afford it are wealthy which probably means that Lydia is wealthy as well. My guess is she's probably at Philippi on some business and probably established a home there as well. Finally, the text reveals that Lydia is a worshiper of God. This could mean she's a Jew. More likely, it means that she's a God-fearer, this group of Gentiles who converted to Judaism. We simply don't know. But either way the most important thing is to know is she's a, a god worshipper. I love the Bible. In one sentence the Bible says shows us Lydia as a wealthy god-fearing businesswoman. And we find out in verse 15 that she is a woman of quite of persuasion and boldness as well. Paul preaches the good news to Lydia. God opens her heart and she becomes a believer of Jesus Christ. God opens her heart. Another key theme of the book of Acts, but also the whole Bible, is, that is God's sovereignty over salvation. Only God can open Lydia's heart. Only God can open your heart. Lydia was not converted to Christ because of the wisdom of, or the persuasiveness of Paul the preacher. Lydia was saved because God opened her heart. Lydia, as a symbol of women in general, Lydia matters to God. Now, let me be clear. Lydia doesn't matter to God because she is worthy to be saved. God is not impressed with her wealth, her business prowess, or even her boldness with Paul. Lydia, like all of us, is dead in her sin, broken in every aspect of her life. Lydia matters to God because he is glorious, perfect in importance, beauty, and love. Lydia matters to God because He is in his mercy he decides to save her by the river by sending Paul to preach the good news to her. About Jesus. And it's true for all women who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Women matter to God because God is the ultimate lover of women. He proved that love by sending Jesus to die on the cross. And one of the last things that Jesus did before he gave up his spirit was to love his mother Mary by putting her into the arms of one of his most caring disciples, John. Women matter to God. And lastly, we see that worship matters to God, especially worship in the city. Our our passage already describes Lydia as a God worshiper, but now that she knows Jesus, her worship is complete. She She has a fuller sense of what worship is all about. Verse 15, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we can see from the passage, Lydia is a very bold woman. I like that. As soon as she gets saved and baptized along with her household, she urges Paul and his companions Stay at her house. Now, for whatever reason, Paul was reluctant to do that. He took some persuading. There's no mention of a husband, so we can conjecture that she was a single woman. Maybe Paul thought it would look inappropriate to her neighbors for all these men to come into her home. We don't know. Whatever the reason, Lydia boldly states her case of hospitality. She wants them in her home. She says, if you judge me to be faithful, come to my house and stay. And her boldness wins out. Luke, writing the book of Acts, says, and she prevailed upon us. That word prevail is from the Greek word parobiasomai, and it often means to use violence. The NIV translates it persuaded. But that's not strong enough. Our passage today comes from the English Standard Version, which says prevailed, and I think that's a little bit better, but I like the King James Version. It says, and she constrained us. Her words were so powerful, her arguments so convincing, that Paul, along with his other missionary friends, agreed to stay in her home. And because of that boldness, the worship of Christ is firmly established in her home, in the city of Philippi. And that is a momentous event. Lydia is the first convert in Philippi, which makes her the first convent in Europe. Many scholars believe her home in Philippi was the main launching place for the gospel in all of Europe. And don't forget about her hometown in Asia, Thyatira, The city of Thyatira is not mentioned again in the Bible until the book of Revelation, where it is one of the seven churches addressed by Jesus himself. Could Lydia have been the one to take the gospel back to Thyatira? We don't know. But I wouldn't put it past such a bold woman of God. The point for us today is God loves to establish worship in the cities of the world. Cities matter to God. Philippi, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Cities matter to God. Worship matters to God. Why? Again, because God is supremely important and ultimately beautiful. God wants to be glorified among the nations. Jonathan Edwards said God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by being rejoiced. Tim Keller, in one of his sermons, comments on this quote from Edwards. He says, what Edwards is trying to say is if you obey God because you have to, you don't understand the glory of God. You're only obeying God because what you can get out of him, what you find useful in him, as a means to an end, but not the end itself. So the idea behind genuine worship is the idea that God is so beautiful that you obey him for himself. You love him for himself. God wants to establish that type of worship in all the cities throughout the world. I'll end our time together with a segment from our new mission statement. As a family following Jesus in the city, we commit ourselves, number one, to worship God as one with the voices of the nations. As a family following Jesus in the city, we commit ourselves to worship God as one with the voices of the nations. And I think that fits nicely into what God what matters to God. He wants to establish his worship right here at New Life Church. Now, I've been one of your pastors on and off. For many years. It's been my pleasure. It's a great privilege. If you add the time of being a ruling elder, it's something like 17 years as one of your leaders. And I've been around long enough to recognize certain patterns in our midst. Here's one pattern I notice. We are constantly saying, what is wrong with New Life Church? Constantly stating how it can be improved. I'm for improvement. I'm I'm for constructive criticism. But I think something else is going on. And I I would venture to guess that at one point or another, all of us have done this. And if you're one of the people that thinks new life is all but perfect, what I hear is you complaining about the people complaining about new life. So we're all guilty of this. We all stand before the Lord guilty. I, I think I'm one of the most guilty ones because in the year 2000, I left this church altogether, my heart full of frustration, and graciously God brought me back. So I cannot judge anybody on this, and I don't. I can't judge, but I can offer my opinion as to why I think we consistently say what's wrong with New Life Church. We do it because we don't want to worship God with the voices of the nation. I think what we're, if you listen closely, I think what we're arguing for is to worship God with one voice, my voice. And voices that sound like mine. The challenge is that as soon as you start adding other voices, you start adding other opinions. And that creates tension in our midst. I think that tension is I think it is a sacred tension that God has created himself. Why? Because he wants to create a community of worship so diverse that the only thing that could hold it together is the power of God through his Holy Spirit. Then he wants to reveal that community to an unbelieving world so that we might, so that they might become curious about Jesus Christ. That is the reason the Spirit of God pushed the Apostle Paul out of Asia Minor to the edge of Europe. That is the reason why Lydia was saved by the river that day. And that is the reason why you are saved, to worship God as a family of nations. Like Lydia, your voice in worship must be heard. You matter. you get the great pleasure of coming to a diverse church like New Life where one of our goals is to worship God as one with the voices of the nations. I hope that we are not missing what God is doing in our midst. Most churches don't get to see this type of glory every single Sunday. But we do. It doesn't make us better than other churches. It just means that God has given us a wonderful gift that most won't experience until they get to heaven. And we see it, however, in small glimpses every single week. So enjoy it. That's my advice to all of us, including myself. Enjoy it. Enjoy the worship God has created at New Life Church. By doing so, you will be enjoying God himself and by enjoying God this way you will understand your true identity